You are listening to a Victory Alabang podcast. God's Word is our authority in how we live our lives. Learn more in this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. Advisory. This podcast contains mature subject matter. Please exercise discretion when listening around children. We are embarking on this journey as we talk about this series entitled Uncensored. Everybody say Uncensored. And uh, in this particular series, we are talking about the three-letter word. And uh, what is that three-letter word we want to talk about today? Okay, uh, God. Okay, we want to talk about God. Kayo talaga. God's view on sex. Okay, and so we want to talk about God and His plan for us and His purpose for marriage and basically His gift of sex. Uh, to give you a brief overview, uh, where we're headed for the next two more weeks, our goal is that at the end of this series, we will have a biblical understanding of sex. And, you know, sex is uh, discussed freely outside the church. Maybe some of you are wondering, why do we need to talk about sex in the church? Uh, you know, maybe you have different... Uh, viewpoints on sex, and that's exactly why we want to talk about sex, because uh, we want to find out what is God's plan and purpose for sex, because I believe that, you know, as uh, you know, Pastor Edre actually shared last week, just to give us a summary, uh, you know, sex is actually uh, viewed differently by different people. You know, sex can be an idol. Uh, you know, it can actually be a, uh, an addiction to some. It can be a trauma to others. It can actually be uh, a defilement to some. And so the, on the other extreme, uh, they feel that if they talk about sex, it's gross. But if you look at the biblical definition of sex, sex is actually a gift from God. And I hope that we will journey as we go again and dive and look, take a look at what the scripture wants to tell us, I hope that we will put on a lens that, you know, somehow is not seen in the, you know, in the world because the world's lens is actually very uh, vulgar when it comes to sex. And for some reason, in church, you can't associate the word sex with God. That somehow when you, you can't mix those two words together. How many of you can relate with me on that? That when you talk about sex, somehow sex is rather dirty, but in reality, the original plan of God with sex is that sex is actually a very beautiful thing that He gifted to man. Now, where do people get their views on the subject of sex? There are different worldviews on sex. You know, some people believe uh, in the world that sex does not really have to have a boundary as long as you love me. As long as you love me. Parang ganun daw, ano? So, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, um, you know, whether we're married or not married, whether we have a commitment or not, uh, not a commitment, or no commitment at all, as long as there's love involved in between two parties. Uh, in other words, basta may love, pwede na. I mean, is that really what sex is all about? Um, some people believe that sex knows no gender. I kiss the girl and I like it, okay? Uh, you know, is that really what God's plan is when you talk about sex? 
you know, and I can actually choose my own sexual orientation and preference. Or, you know, sex can be done as long as it's fun. So where do people get their ideas on sex? You know, this is actually a study that, um, according to the survey, a lot of, uh, you know, internet TV books and the most popular source of information about sex, more than one in five youth have no source of information about sex except from the internet because of the access through this, uh, you know, social media or the internet, they actually, there's 42% of the young people today get their ideas or view of sex. And then you move on, there's television, there's books, magazines, schools, newspaper, uh, radio, others, comics, but there's nowhere in this survey wherein people actually get their idea from the Bible. But how many of you know that we need to go back to the written word because that is the ultimate authority of teaching when it comes to sex. Amen, Ariel. Thank you okay, for that rousing response. In other words, when you talk about the Bible, God's plan and God's purpose for man will prevail. You know, some of you might think, you're too old-fashioned, Pastor Ariel. You know, we're in the 21st century already. You know, we're talking about, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, there was a sexual revolution. You got to be more open-minded. You got to be more forward-thinking. But what is open-minded and what is forward-thinking? What is an old-fashioned way of thinking? You know, back in Corinth, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul was, you know, um, trying to break in the mindset of the Corinthians because in the Corinthian mindset, that was the old way of thinking. You can have sex with anybody and with anything. That was the old mindset. That was the old way of thinking. But the new way of thinking is Christianity. The new way of thinking is you've got to preserve your body, and you've got to use your body to honor the Lord. Amen. And that is really what the new way of thinking is. But really, when you look at the Bible, the Bible says all men are like grass, and the opinions of men are kind of like this. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers, and the flowers fall. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And I believe that when you talk about any topic in the world, God has a say on that. Amen. Particularly in this view of sex. So I'd like to invite everyone to stand. We're going to be reading the scriptures this afternoon. We're going to be going back to the Genesis account. What was the original plan of God in creation when it comes to marriage and when it comes to sex? Today we're actually talking about authority. Everybody say authority. Authority of uh, sex in the area of marriage. Let's all read it, this out loud. Verse 27. We'll be reading from Genesis 1 and then we'll jump to Genesis 2, 24 and 25. Four verses this afternoon. Are you ready to read? Okay, ready? One, two, three. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's move to uh, Genesis chapter 2, 24 to 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we welcome you and your Holy Spirit here tonight. We ask that you would give us your wisdom. Thank you, Lord, that you will break old mindsets, the world's way of thinking. And Lord, introduce to us, Lord God, and speak to our hearts and help us to look at what the Bible says about this topic called sex. So Lord, we thank you and we ask that you would enlighten your people this afternoon, Lord God. I pray, God, that you also come in Holy Spirit to heal past hurts, traumas in the past. Lord, I know that sex, when you talk about this topic, this is such a sensitive topic, Lord God, to some. I thank you, God, indeed, may we see it from your perspective that in the area of marriage, it is actually a gift. So Lord, we commit to you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. All right. You know, we've uh, looked at two sets of verses from Genesis account. It says um, that God actually created us in his own image. And how many of you know that God has a hand in creating you and me? That we did not come from an amoeba or a protozoa and then a monkey. And then you actually, you know, from a blob coming out of a pond, you know, you actually walk straight, you know, and then you're, you're you, right? Um, but we did not come from the primate world, but I believe that God really had a hand in creating each and every one of us. Look at a person beside you and tell that person, you were created in the image of God. Tell that person, you were created in the image of God. You know, it's interesting to note that in the beginning, when God created everything, each particular day, he summarized his creation day as it was good. In fact, in the beginning when he created, and when he said, let there be light, and there was light, and there was, you know, uh, morning and evening and day and night, and at the end of that particular day, God said, it is good. On the second day, he actually created the expanse, the sky that separated the waters above and the waters below, and at the end of that day, he said, it's good. And so on and so forth. He created, you know, the, you know, the, he created the animals. He created the fish. He created the, the birds. He created the, the vegetations on the fourth day. On the sixth day, actually, he created the animals and the living creatures on the ground. And then he created the man. And he summarized his creation by saying, it is very good. And yet suddenly we see that in the, you know, in the second chapter of Genesis, there was a shift in the tone of God, when for the first time, God said, it is not good. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And all the single people say, Amen. How many married people do we have in this place? Now, please raise your hand. Married people and you're happy. Please raise your hand. <laughs> now, married people, don't, no qualifiers, okay? Married people, no qualifiers. How many married people do we have in this place? Lift up your hands so I know the audience that I'm talking to. All right. Now, how many singles do we have here today? Please raise your hand and shout, woohoo! 
Sabihin mo, Lord, pansin niyo ako. Ganun, ganun. <laughs> There's a lot more singles, I realize, here. Today, uh, more than the marriage, I think about almost like 60-40 more singles than married. And I believe that it was God's plan. You see that in that particular, in the particular verses that we've read, we see five convictions of marriage. It's not going to be in my notes, okay? These are just random thoughts, okay? Number one, we see that gender is God's design. He said, He created man in his own image and likeness, male and female. He created them. Being a man is created from the image of God. Amen. And being a woman also was created from the image of God. But how could that be? We're so different. If you're suited to a girl and you're a boy, you notice that there's a difference in the way you think, in the way you look, your body parts are different, and yet the Bible says we were both created in the image of God. God is bigger than the differences in our sexes. Amen. It's, 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 it's God's design that He gave us uniqueness. Secondly, marriage is God's idea. It came from God. It was not man's idea. Adam was actually not looking for a wife. Adam was just busy naming the animals. You will be chimpanzee. You will be orangutan. You will be giraffe. You will be elephant. You will be this. You will be that. And yet the Lord said, for Adam, there was no suitable companion that was found. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, Adam was not a match for Miss Gorilla. <laughs> and so what happened was, it was God who initiated these two people to become one. And, you know, we know the story that it was God who took the rib from the side of Adam and fashioned Eve, and he presented the woman to the man. More of this later on. Yeah. So, sex is actually part of marriage. It's another conviction that we, we find here. Both were naked, and they felt no shame. You know, they, you know the man and the woman, they leave their father and mother, and they will become one flesh. Marriage is actually designed for both a man and a woman. That's number four conviction. And number five conviction, we're going to talk about this later. Marriage should be permanent. Everybody say permanent. That was God's original design. I guess Adam had no choice. There's only one woman. But that was the intention of God. When God placed them together, God placed boundaries around the two of them. How many of you play basketball? Anybody, anybody here play basketball? Okay. Or how many of you are familiar with the game basketball? You're not a Filipino if you don't know basketball. Okay. <laughs> you know, you're, you're probably familiar with the game of basketball. In basketball, there's a basketball court. There are two hoops. There are two goals. How many players are there in the court? Five each, so ten. So that's the game of basketball. In the basketball game, there's actually lines that you see around the court, and there's what you call out of bounds. As long as you're inside the court, you're safe. You're given a time element so that you can actually make as many points as you can. 
that is the game of basketball. The purpose of a basketball court is to put boundaries around the players so that they can have a very good game. However, if you are a Filipino, sometimes you can actually be very creative and create a basketball court on your own. And it doesn't matter whether you're outside the boundary lines as long as there's a hope, it's okay to dunk, right? But how many of you know that if you put the court outside where it should be, sometimes it can be very dangerous, especially if there's a train passing through. And you can actually have a very nice form of a layup in the court, but if you're outside the streets, maybe that's a little bit dangerous because there's tricycles coming in, cars, motorcycles, chickens and dogs, you know, just crossing the street. And so, when you talk about boundaries, in the same way, sex outside the confines of marriage can lose its meaning. Because God has placed us with us boundaries, or in, in, the, in the confines of marriage, sex can actually be enjoyable. But outside of that, it becomes dangerous, and it becomes a sin. When purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. We've got to know the purpose why God has given us sex in the first place. Because if we don't know the purpose, then there is abuse. Abuse basically comes from two uh, words. Abuse means abnormal use. You know, you're familiar with cotton buds, right? But sometimes in the absence of cotton buds, you get a paper clip. And you clean your ears? How many of you know that that is not right? Because chances are you might end up in the emergency room, right? Because that paperclip is not meant to clean your ears, it's meant to clip papers. In the same way, if we don't understand the purpose of sex, then abuse will be inevitable. So I'd like to present for us today three purposes of sex. Why was sex given to us in the first place? Number one is for procreation. Everybody say procreation. God commanded man to multiply and subdue the earth. We see this in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. And it says, And God blessed them. And he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In fact, part of the reason why there is sex in marriage is because of procreation or having children. Now, how many of you are parents in this place? Please raise your hand. Your parents. How many of you consider your children as a blessing from the Lord and not as an expense? Amen, right? Actually, they're both. For those of you single, these are part of life, okay? Dr. Tim Keller, in his book, The Gospel and Sex, said, and I quote, Sex is sacred because with God, it co-creates a new soul. Can you imagine? Somehow, when a man and a woman gets married, and when they desire to have babies, what happens after the union is actually the fruit of their love, which is actually a new person. That person is just not any ordinary animal or fleshly thing that was produced, it actually is a new soul. He has a spirit. He has a conscience. 
He's got a body. Eventually, he'll grow up. Sex propagates the human race. Its purpose is not merely for the building up of a family name. The purpose of sex is to create families of disciples to establish new kingdom communities. That's why I believe the reason why God wants us to procreate is so that the glory of the Lord will fill the earth because we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why I believe that as men and women, husband and wives and parents, we need to take, uh, you know, take seriously the responsibility of raising up our children in the ways of God. But more on that in a child training seminar in the future. In Psalm 127 verse 3, this basically gives us a description of children. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. In the NIV, it says, children are a reward from the Lord. Children are a blessing from the Lord. They are considered a blessing, a reward. And, you know, if you have done a good job, maybe in your work, sometimes you get rewarded, right? You get compensated. And I believe that though sometimes you don't deserve the reward, God just gives us the reward of children. Amen. He looks at children differently the way we look at children sometimes. God values family. And He would like for us to enjoy the relationship that we have between man and woman, husband and wife, and our children. The second purpose of sex is basically for pleasure. And this is not just ordinary pleasure, but this is actually done in the confines of marriage. You know, if I ask you today, what gives you pleasure? You know, maybe eating chocolate can give you pleasure, right? Or maybe, uh, you know, we had a good lunch this afternoon. Pastor Jerry and Pastor Leonard of Santa Rosa brought me to uh, a nice lunch in, uh, in, in, in Santa Rosa. And they ordered uh, healthy food, like crispy pata. <laughs> and binukad uh, plapla, uh, and, you know, all those. And it was, as I was looking at the food, it was just pure joy. <laughs> it gave us pleasure just talking about the church, talking about our families, talking about our children, enjoying the food. It gives us pleasure. And I believe that in the same way, and I don't want to minimize or trivialize sex, but sex, aside from procreation, the purpose of sex is so that we can enjoy one another as husband and wife. Amen. Ako lang yata yung naniniwala yung ganun, ano? But anyway, it's okay. Because I believe sex is definitely a gift from God. Can you imagine if you believe that sex is just for procreation, the only time you have sex is when you plan to have babies. Can you imagine we only have four kids for the past 25 years? Does that mean that I only had sex four times with my wife? Help me, Lord. It's hard. But verse 25, it says, The man and his wife were both, everybody say, naked, and they were not ashamed. That's from the scriptures. That's from the Bible. If you're married to your husband or you're married to your wife, you should not feel ashamed if you're in front of each other naked 
and without clothes. The shame and the fear and the guilt came after sin. But when Adam and Eve were presented to one another, can you imagine? It was God's initiative that He made Eve. He put Adam to sleep. That was the first general anesthesia recorded in the Bible. You go to sleep because I don't want you to help me as I create your perfect companion. And so when he woke up, can you imagine the pure joy and exhilaration when he saw his partner for the first time? Right in front of Adam was a naked woman. I mean, imagine it. <laughs> this is Bible, guys. Hello. I don't need to qualify. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. In fact, this was the first recorded human utterance of Adam. It was more of like a poetic song that came out of his mouth when he saw Eve this beautiful woman right in front of him, and he said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. <laughs> For she was taken out of man. And he got so excited because of what he saw as a present, as a gift that God has given to him. They felt no shame. You know when shame came into the picture? It was only in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God by eating that fruit. Have you ever wondered what that fruit was? Anyway, I don't know what that was. Okay, but anyway, some are saying it's an apple, but it's a fruit. It was actually a fruit that was, you know, be uh, so beautiful to the eyes. And so they bit that fruit, and once they bit that fruit, they realized that they were naked. God looked for Adam and Eve that day, and he was saying, Adam, where are you? And these are the very words of Adam. I heard your voice, and I hid, because I was afraid, because I realized I was naked. Sin marred the beauty of sex. Because of the entrance of sin in man, this somehow perverted the way we viewed sex. But the original plan of God was that sex was such a beautiful thing between a husband and a wife in its purest form. It's supposed to not just give them ability to procreate, but the ability to enjoy one another as well. In fact, one particular philosopher named Plato, how many of you are familiar with Plato? Plato was actually known to be against this view of sex. A Platonistic view or a Platonic relationship would actually say that sex is dirty and sex is derogatory. That somehow the spirit in man is pure, but the body is dirty. So anything that you know, your body does actually will end up in degradation. And some early fathers you know, basically jumped into that way of thinking. In fact, Augustine, before his conversion, the, uh, not the Bible, but history would say that he was also engaging in sexual activity until he got uh, converted. 
to Christianity. And he, he said, he often commended married couples for not engaging in sex and referred to it as a form of animalistic lust. Somehow this has helped shape the view of sex as somewhere, uh, as, as something that's dirty because of some belief uh, of uh, even of our early fa- church fathers. Thomas Aquinas said, and he thought that sex was only, for, uh, only permissible for the purposes of recreation, or procreation, rather, and saw sexual intercourse as duty alone. According to him, anything beyond this is immoral. But yet, how can you reconcile the fact that in the Bible, God has given this beautiful gift to the man and the woman? Not only can you find this in the Genesis account, but you can actually find this also in the book of Genesis. I'll just move on. Okay? Proverbs 5, verse 18 to 19 says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Another translation would say, may you ever be intoxicated by her love. A very vivid description, may her breast satisfy you. It's, it's actually part of God's gift that when you talk about sex between the man or the husband and the wife, it gives them both pleasure and satisfaction. But see, the difference between the world's way of satisfaction or pleasure is so different between the world's way of pleasure and satisfaction. God is pleased in honor when we do the act of sex in the covenant of marriage and marriage alone. Never, never outside of marriage, not before marriage, not while you're single. In fact, sex is only allowed and used within the confines or the covenant of marriage. There's no other way to have this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 to 4 says, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Now this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He was unmarried. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife. And each woman, her own husband. So that you don't sin. What he was saying is, so that you won't you know, uh, participate in the act of sin of the Corinthian people. Get yourself a husband or a wife. This might be the word for singles for the year 2015. And the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. In fact, when you talk about pleasure, when you talk about satisfaction, it is not about your own satisfaction and pleasure that you're looking for in marriage. You're looking at the satisfaction and the pleasure of your partner and your spouse. The world's way of thinking, as I said earlier, is self-gratification. While the Bible's way of thinking is self-donation and self-giving and self-sacrificing. The purest form of satisfaction and the height of it really is achieved when your partner is satisfied 
in that union and in that act. Tahimik kayo. That's the basic difference. For the world, it's what's in it for me? What can I get out of this relationship? How can I be satisfied? How can my lust be fulfilled? How can my, you know, my craving be answered for? But the word's way or the Bible's way of self-donation. You know how it is if you're a father? Sometimes if you buy like food for your children or for your family on the table, and then you miscalculate it. For example, if there are five kids and you only bought five chicken joy, you will sacrifice, right? And you will let your children go first. And what will satisfy you is if you look at the faces and as they dip the chicken joy in the gravy <laughs> and they put that first piece in their mouth and they say, lang sarap, something like that. It gives you pure joy and satisfaction. Even if you haven't even bitten a bit of chicken, just looking at your children happy makes you happy. That's a very crude way of putting it. But in reality, I believe that is God's design for us. It's so that we can give to our spouse. Genesis chapter 2.18 says, I will make a helper suitable for him. The word suitable in Hebrew, neged, is actually it means different and yet alike. Somebody who's compatible for you. Somebody who's a companion given to you by God. In fact, when you look at really just the, between a man and a woman, between husband and wife, when they become one, it is more than just a physical activity. They share their soul and their spirit together. In fact, God is so, as I said earlier, God is so pleased if a husband and a wife will engage in this act together in marriage. It's actually worship in its purest form as well. Because you are actually giving yourself to the other and she is giving herself to you. The last point, and the last purpose of sex is permanence. Everybody say permanence. Not temporary. Not try it out first. Not hook up or shack up and then break up. But it's permanence. Something that was designed by God that you will be together till death do you part. In verse 24, it says, Therefore, everybody say, therefore. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know, this one flesh really talks about the intimacy and the union between a husband and a wife. One flesh, meaning the physical act of sex itself. One flesh does not just talk about the body connecting to one another. It talks about the embodiment of the whole person. You're sharing yourself to this woman, and the woman is sharing herself to you. That is becoming one flesh. You're giving of yourself. Sex is a way of cementing relationship in complete oneness. This is the same oneness that we see like the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit are one. One God, three persons, and yet they are one. It is the same tune of to that. The, 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 the oneness that a husband and a wife will have should be the same unity that the, the, the Holy Spirit has with the Father and the Son. That's why it is always important for us and be careful, particularly singles. Let me just encourage you. It is worth preserving your virginity to the person that God will give to you. In fact, your virginity can be your greatest gift to your future spouse. Maybe some would think, the pastor, I think it's kind of too late for you to say that. Because, you know, I'm here listening to your sermon and I feel condemned and I feel embarrassed or ashamed. I believe God has the capability of restoring a person back to his or her original mold. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord praise. And of course, yeah, there's no one here who is innocent, particularly in this area. Me included. I cannot just stand here and say that I am the purest form of, you know, purity when it comes to sex. I had some struggles when I was a young boy as well. I was exposed to, to pornography as a young boy. But yet somehow in God's sovereignty, He preserved me in the area of relationships with other women. And so I was able to offer my body to my wife right now. And truth be told, that was the first time that we've had sex. After the pastor said, you mean I'll kiss the bride? Hello. But for, maybe for some of us, you've gone a little bit deeper and farther in your journey in this area. I believe if you are sincere in your repentance before the Lord, God will be the one to give, the, give you the gift of marriage and spouse. And you should not come out of this place condemned because the grace of God is always available for us. Amen. Amen. And His, his ability to recreate, His ability to restructure our, you know, and, and make us new. You know, our, yes, our conscience has been seared because of sin. But the blood of Jesus is the most potent and most powerful agent that cleanses sin of man. He's able to remove all shame, all guilt, all condemnation. In fact, this is how powerful sex is. In Genesis chapter 4, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, it says in the first verse of Genesis chapter 4, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. 
that was very descriptive of what they did. In order for you to become pregnant, what do you have to do first? You got to have sex and you have to lay with your wife. But guess what? In the ESV version, the translation is rather different. It says, Adam knew his wife. Or Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. Can you imagine? This is deeper because when you talk about sex, it's more than just a physical act. Sex is something that you share with your spouse in the most intimate level. When you are intimate with somebody, you know that person. God knows us individually because God wants to be intimate with us. When we respond back to Him, what we're doing is, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to cry out to you when we come before Him in worship, when we come before Him in devotion. That's exactly what intimacy is all about, to know Him. And yet, the Bible describes sex as the best way to become intimate between a man and his wife. That's why, you know, as Pastor Edre, you know, very beautifully just showed us last week that when you are bonded together with somebody because of sex, this bonding chemical is released called oxytocin. It bonds you together. And when you try to pull it apart, guess what? You cannot just get out without being damaged from that relationship. Because something in you was shared to that person and something from that person was shared to you. And if you try to move to another person, guess what? A part of you is being ripped apart. Because you have given your part there to the other person. And now you're trying to give your whole body to this person, which is really not possible because a part of you was left behind. Only God can make us whole again. Amen. And I believe that as God restores us in the way of thinking, as we get rid of all this immorality, this lust, I believe God will supply us the grace to say to Him, Yes, Lord and to say no to sexual immorality. Dr. Tim Keller, in his book, again, The Gospel and Sex, said, the romantic view, or the world's view, considers emotional happiness to be the main condition for marriage. If there is interpersonal happiness, sex is warranted, and then comes marriage. But when love dies, it, also, it is also allowable to walk away from the marriage. That is the world's way of thinking. As long as there is love, as long as there's feelings for that person, as long as there is something that I actually can give from you, we're going to be committed. The most difficult thing to give really is the commitment of marriage. Because what you're saying is, whatever happens, I will never leave you. I will stay here with you till death do us part. But in the biblical view, however, it says the main condition of marriage is binding covenant. In the romantic view, sex is self-expression. In the biblical view, sex is self-giving. That's why I believe God wants us to look at marriage in a different light. Even Jesus quoted the scriptures we read earlier, and He said this. That's why this in red letter. In verse 8 of Mark chapter 10, And the two will become... One flesh. He got this from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, right? They will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. And then he added this, Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. 
he put his addendum there. The original design of marriage is permanence. That you are to be husband and wife. And I know that we live in a society right now, in a culture that is just so complex. I know. And if you have gone through maybe a remarriage, I don't want you to come out here condemned or say, you know, maybe we're not together. Please don't. God gave a provision, or Jesus gave a provision, except for marital unfaithfulness. You can actually issue a certificate of divorce. But this was not so in the very beginning, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. Because of the hardness of the heart of people, He made an allowance for that. But the original plan and design was for marriage to be permanent. That's why we take seriously our marriage vows. The marriage vows is not just given between a man and a woman, but the marriage vows are spoken between you, your spouse, and God being the witness. That's why I remember every time we lead the couple with this ring, we actually help them declare this particular statement and we say to them, this ring is the sign of the covenant that I have made with you, today, uh, the sign of the, uh, eternal love that I'm making with you today to love you with an eternal love as I put it in your hand and you receive it, you acknowledge that you are no longer your own, but mine. Yon. And then you put the ring. Because it's such a, a serious declaration. The moment I put the ring on you and you put your ring on me, it's as if this is the seal, the, the, the picture of the covenant that we are making before the Lord. It's a few more scriptures before we land this thing. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed be kept pure. For God will what? Judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Marriage should be honored by all. It should not just be honored by the married people, but it should be honored by even the single people, by the children, because it is God's institution that He was giving to us. A picture of the same relationship that He has with this church. The Bible begins with the marriage in the garden. If you look at the book of Revelation, the very end of the book, you will actually see another marriage between the Lord Jesus Christ and the church. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, he uses the, same, the very same picture that a man ought to love his wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How much should a man or a husband love his wife? Very simple. You must be willing to die for your wife. How many husbands do we have in this place? You must be ready to die for your wife. That's from Ephesians chapter 5. You want to enjoy the benefits of marriage, procreation, pleasure, permanence, and sex? Give of yourself to your spouse. Just as Christ gave himself to the church, he did not withhold anything from the church. He gave his entire body 
He died on the cross for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as we come to an end, this is my main point. God designed sex for procreation, pleasure, and permanence within. Within marriage. Not outside marriage, not before marriage, while you're married. My last scripture as I come to a close, I'd like to ask the music team to join me here on stage. Ephesians 5.31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The picture that we have in marriage, the reason why we're talking about this, yes, we're talking about sex, which is a physical union between a husband and a wife, but yet somehow we see that there is a parallelism in the spirit, the intimacy that Christ wants to have with us. God wants to reach out to us. God gave His all. Christ gave His all for us. And may we ever be captivated by the love of Jesus. That every day that we come before Him to appreciate what He has done for us, the grace, the forgiveness, the love, the mercy, His compassion are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. His love will never end. He's always there for us. He's a husband that is faithful and true. He is jealous for your love and mine. Yet He gave it all already for us. How are we to respond back to Him? We hope you were inspired by that message. Listen to more podcasts from our website at www.victoryalabang.org and in the Victory Alabang app. Thank you and stay connected.